Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast, to the World Cup 2018 podcast with Richard Baha. Uh, that's me, your host, and I'd just like to start off by thanking everyone, uh, just the listeners so far. Uh, we cracked into the top 100 uh, for sports podcasts within Australia uh, for the first time yesterday which was quite exciting for me, uh, quite a new experience, and onwards and upwards from here. But without further ado, we'll get straight into just the general news today. Uh, so basically, my idea for this podcast was to go through uh, any points of note for the World Cup. Uh, let me know if you guys want this to be a regular thing, say even during the World Cup, have a regular kind of a, uh, almost a, a news report kind of a, uh, a show. But uh, it's up to you guys again. Um, but without further ado, let's get into some of the headlines. So these will just be headlines that I um, I particularly find interesting or just felt when worthy of sharing. And so um, I'd like to start with the uh, federations for, for France, for Australia, and for Denmark have all signed on uh, to attempt to have the ban on Paulo Guerrero of Peru lifted. Uh, you've heard that right. So all of the groups, uh, all of Peru's competitors have actually signed on to say, hey, look, we understand that the coca leaf tea is a a normal tradition in Peru. So what he's done is not performance enhancing. And so we're happy uh, with him to play. Uh, so if you're not aware of the story, uh, so basically Paulo Guerrero was found guilty uh, by WADA of basically, well, not performance-enhancing drugs, but of a drug uh, breach, uh, and a doping breach. Uh, again, the drug was not performance-enhancing. It was coca leaves. So uh, in finding that, he was banned initially for, I believe it was, 12 months, which was appealed to six, and then went back up to 14. And so he is missing the World Cup at this point. Now, there's been no further commentary, uh, just apart from the fact that these countries' captains have been kind enough to sign on. So it is a very good uh, a good gesture, a gesture of goodwill. And to be honest, especially from the two smaller countries, it's, uh, it's a great display of sportsmanship. So I thought I'd just put that out there from the start and commend, uh, commend those federations on that. Incredible stuff. Uh, moving on from there, uh, a couple of interesting things. But um, one of the more odd things I heard, I'm not sure if it's completely credible, it was... Uh, it was a little article by Fox Sports, uh, Fox Sports Australia, and they came out and said that Will Smith would produce and sing on the official World Cup song. Uh, we did have a little discussion on the World Cup songs. It was a short, short podcast, uh, but that would be very, very interesting. And I wish I knew that at that time, because then we could have gone through maybe what that would potentially sound like. We've got a bit of Fresh Prince uh, sound coming towards this World Cup, which is very, very interesting. But... Getting back to the football. So uh, I was quite intrigued to see that Southgate uh, for England has named Harry Kane as the captain, uh, as opposed to Jordan Henderson, which was, I think, the pundit's favourite. Uh, the pundit's favourite. Now, dissecting that, I feel as though it is a, a good decision in my mind. Uh, Harry Kane is there to spearhead that team. Um, I can see why there were great shouts for Henderson. Of course, that's the way it was. And just because it, it's always good, you can have a, a, a decent argument for a, a, a captain on all parts of the pitch. Uh, you can have a goalkeeper and just say he's he's like a Buffon type, you know, um, the the leader of the team in that sense. Uh, defenders because they're rigid, you know, they're um, they're fierce competitors and they just show that extra effort. 
uh, midfielders because they're all over the pitch and they're all over the game and they usually dictate play um, for most parts of the game and can really perform in all areas. And strikers like Harry Kane, like Neymar, because they're usually the most skilled or the most high-profile player, um, whether or not that translates to uh, being that talisman, uh, we're, we're yet to see. And to be honest, I don't put put Kane in that kind of a, a regard when you compare him to a pre- the previous Sweden captain, Ibrahimovic, um, and a few other captains that I can think of around world football. But I like the choice. I like that choice. Um, but but the captain definitely does not have to be the most high-profile player. If you look at Australia, for example, Tim Cahill is easily... Uh, uh, well, he's an elder statement of the team, and he's also a statesman of the team, and he's also, um, well quite experienced, uh, quite experienced as the high-profile player. Um, you know, he's, he's scored in our, all of our previous World Cups that he's been at, I believe, uh, scored against Japan uh, eight years ago now, I think. I think it was, yeah. Um, but Mila Jednak is, in fact, the captain. So so there's always that special something about captains like that. Um, so whether Kane will work out, I, I think it's for the better. I think it also is good just to have that new generation uh, coming through, have that player, that captain to look up to. And it'll be interesting to see how he goes. Um, I, for one, think that it will be a very good appointment. But moving on from there, uh, a lot of players we know have been left out of the World Cup. And to be honest, looking at most of those squads, uh, even the France squad that I was discussing the other day with a couple of friends, uh, it's unbelievable some of the talent they've left behind. I mean, they've left behind talent that would walk into uh, all of the other squads in their group, which is incredible. Uh, so one of them was Benzema, which I think was a more personal issue type of a, a decision uh, of the coach. But looking over at a news report today by Goal.com, there was uh, an article, a feature article, on the, the 11 that's missing from the Spain squad. Now, I went through them. Uh, there are some players that you can definitely say uh, merited a spot, but uh, there weren't too many that I I considered, you know, a real glaring omission um, because there were players in there like Maratta and like Fabregas who did not have the best of seasons. Maratta's in, in a, quite a, a dry spell of late. Um, and World Cup, you know, it, it just... It's really something that you would have to pick on form for the most part. Uh, that was part of our discussion on England and Germany recently. So looking at that list, there wasn't too many glaring misses. One player, though, happens to be, happens to be one of my favorite players. So it is quite a biased little uh, anecdote. But uh, Jose Callejon, I was very, very upset to see him uh, not not make the squad. He Even in the article, they've, they've said that he hit double figures in the league. Uh, Napoli had a, it had the record-breaking season uh, for a second-place finisher in the, the Serie A. And to be quite honest, I, I really thought that he could do a job in this squad, but um, <laughs> I guess I guess not. And another oddity that I saw actually today, uh, if you were to look at the mirror, uh, they posted a feature article on World Cup kits and I was scrolling through, I was reading them all, having a look. Some of them looked interesting. Some of them were, were quite, quite plain or I felt like I'd seen them before. But something I found uh, quite noteworthy was the fact that Alvaro Morata was featured in the, the Spanish promotion of their, new, of their new kit. And so, um, I don't know, maybe that's happened before. It probably has. But I think it's quite funny that a World Cup kit 
was advertised and the player in the advertising will not be at the World Cup. So very interesting to me. Um, and I, I feel for a lot of these guys, to be honest. Uh, it, it depends on how their federation did their selection. Uh, for example, the Australian Federation uh, left a short list, of, short list of 26 and then cut a further three or has to cut a further th- uh, three, which I found quite cruel just because it's it's even more so of a, oh, you were close, very, very close, but but so, so far at the same time, um, you know, cutting from, say, 35 all the way down to 23 would be a lot a lot simpler and a lot better for the players involved, I believe. Um, but looking at that's, that advertisement, I thought it was quite hilarious. So I guess you never, never know. But uh, moving on from that, I also uh, really wanted to see if you guys had any uh, had any topics that you particularly wanted to to touch on. Now, I was um, I was in the football Reddit uh, yesterday, and to be quite honest, I, I did try and put a post out to um, to see if anyone had any opinions, any thoughts. But uh, Reddit took that post down so hopefully you guys can give me some of your thoughts if you've got the anchor app uh, feel free to leave a, a voice message uh, if you're using ios i'm not quite sure what the best way to get a message through would be maybe leave some some positive feedback on the reviews page and then give me a little comment there i'm not sure uh, but yes you know any any feedback would be appreciated and uh, our last story for today is more something that I want you guys to help me with here. Uh, do you have any other big names that you particularly uh, are upset um, about li- being being left out of a squad, basically? Because um, I can see uh, quite a few, um, especially today, that have come out and, and spoken about it. Uh, Akadi and Nyngolan both came out uh, in two very different fashions, uh, basically expressing their, their dissatisfaction or or how they feel after being left out. Uh, Icardi's was particularly sad. Uh, if you find that on his Instagram page, I believe I saw it. Uh, it was, yeah, quite depressing to read. Uh, Nine Golans was a bit more funny, uh, something along the lines of got a new Guinness World Record because you know, he's been left out and he is quite the player. So um, if you've got any players, though, like, say, uh, Callejon, where you think maybe they're not like the mainstream choice, but you really feel like they were pushing for that selection and you're quite disappointed that they didn't make it. I'd love to hear about those just because there's, um, there are a lot of players out there that I feel can, can make a difference in this, this June that, that I I think should have been included. Um, I, I would say more towards the Australia squad, but, um, but yeah, uh, I just, uh, I'm not always in agreement (laughs) with these, with these, coaches but uh, that's the final story for today now we'll just do a quick roundup of some of these squads now the most interesting that i saw i was looking through the argentina squad so i can remind you who's in it but um i'll, I'll probably just just give you the, the big names um but what i was very very shocked at was that there was a fullback uh, christian ansaldi who was who was left into the team or included in the team, the final team, and he hasn't played for the national team since 2014. So, um, look, the sentiment from Sampaoli was we need to face the World Cup without fear, and I do particularly respect that, but that is that was a huge shock for me considering uh, 
just the fact that it is a World Cup, you know, you don't. I don't feel like you take take such big chances uh, at such a big tournament. That means so much to uh, your players, your people. Uh, but onwards from there, I was also. Um, I wouldn't say. Uh, I wouldn't say upset, but I was a bit disillusioned uh, with Aguero being. Um, being left in over Icardi. I, I just felt like Icardi was having a bit of a better time, but then Aguero is that difference maker. And to be honest, I would have included both ahead of Iguain if possible, but I guess Sampaoli doesn't listen to me, so, you know, what can you do? Sampaoli, mind you, uh, definitely, uh, just moving into a more of a personal anecdote again, definitely one of my uh, my favourite, favourite coaches of all time. Uh, so if you didn't know, I am of Chilean descent, and so winning the Copa Americas uh, was amazing. A uh, very, very good high point. Uh, <laughs> losing, losing out on qualification to the World Cup definitely a low point. Uh, but Sampaoli, uh, most people don't know, was actually one of the real, one of the real pioneers of Chilean football. Uh, so he took took control of that golden generation and really set them up for that last Copa America win as well. Um, so he technically, he didn't have to be still in charge to influence the outcome of the squad. He really uh, basically improved upon Marcelo Bielsa's influence. So they're two managers I respect with a great deal, not only because, uh, you know, they, they produced great performances and won, won a lot of key matches uh, when they were in charge, but they left a legacy. They left the players with a way to play um, without necessarily being in charge and at the helm. Uh, so that was very impressive to me. It's very unlike a lot of managers uh, these days. Uh, look at, say, a Mourinho, for example. You know, He'll go to a club, and I respect Mourinho. I think he's a great coach. Um, but you'll see that they'll go... Uh, they'll they'll add their influence, but the moment they leave, a new manager comes, and they really instill their own style uh, straight away. And you can almost see the fabric of that previous manager go uh, the minute he walks out the door. Um, there's a, there's a few more situations. I feel like Conte is one as well. The moment he leaves Chelsea, I don't think the players are gonna play anything like he had them playing. Um, whereas with the Chilean national team, Sampaoli left uh, a real a real mentality. A mentality that uh, was <laughs> was just crucial to all of their their major accolades and their victories. So um, yeah, no, I, I definitely respect um, quite a few of the coaches going to this World Cup. And um, I would also love to know who else you guys uh, believe will have you know a huge influence as a tactician. Um, but there are definitely so many intriguing, intriguing battles. But the last, very, very last thing as we round out this episode that I want to touch on is, <laughs> I know you guys have probably been dreading this chat, the VAR. Now, I'm not sure if it was the exact same all around the world, but VAR was introduced into the Australian Domestic League, I believe, last year. Now, I, again, am not sure if worldwide any of you listeners have had a similar situation. I know that in the MLS I've seen a few situations, but nowhere near as much as Australia, where the VAR was used as almost a way to deflect the blame off the referee. The referee could walk away from responsibility, and no disrespect to referees, but it is their job. <laughs> um, the VAR really ab obstructed the game here in Australia. So the A-League, uh, if you didn't know, 
uh, is experiencing it's experiencing a bit of an odd time in its history. So we've got um we've got some cool, interesting marquees coming in. We've got some cool coaches, you know, and it's a good league to watch every every now and then. Uh, but the league, in terms of growth, has stagnated a lot lately. And looking back on this this past season, uh, wasn't particularly memorable. But one of the things that stands out is the VAR. Uh, so basically, if you don't understand what a VAR is, it's the video assistant referee. And in the Australian case, they were there to mainly, uh, I guess, point out any blatant or key errors that were missed by the referee, which again, I find to be a bit odd because it still leaves a lot of room for subjectivity. And I just... Uh, it just doesn't feel natural to me, you know. Um, I'm not sure if you guys are the same. I guess maybe I'm just being a bit stubborn in my views. But in my opinion, the VAR system and experiment did not work. Just plain and simple, did not work. And so the thought of the first World Cup ever to have VAR being this World Cup, I mean, of course, the day was coming. Uh, but I just do not feel... I do not feel like it, it's totally necessary. I mean, looking at England, I, I don't mind the idea of if the ball crossed the line, we get notified. That does not bother me. Uh, going off an old documentary, uh, what happens is the referee just receives a little buzz to their clock, or to sorry, not to their clock, to their watch, uh, when the ball crosses the line in the goals, basically to prevent a Frank Lampard versus Germany situation. Um, but having the VAR, I guess, nitpick at other decisions, it, it generally scares me. So if you're not aware, uh, the VAR will be located at one, just one cent centralized room uh, over in Moscow, I believe. Uh, and they'll be making those kinds of decisions. Now, of course, of course, the VAR doesn't make the decisions in isolation. They provide their strong recommendation and then the actual referee on the field um, decides from there um but i just i don't know i just don't don't know how it's going to work and i am particularly scared of just one decision going wrong and then it ruining the outcome of a game potentially seeing a a team kicked out uh for something that might not have been picked up in previous years it, it's a very it's a very odd situation and to be honest, I can see that they're trying to get rid of the ambiguity, and I understand that, but in theory, it, it's a great idea. In theory, it's amazing. But seeing it implemented in the A-League this year uh, was quite horrific, in my opinion. Uh, and it's funny to me that uh, a system that is basically there to make sure that there are no mistakes provided more mistakes over here. Um, but again, this could be a very cynical a cynical opinion on my behalf just because I have basically been exposed to a, the worst possible iteration of the VAR system, whereas we can hope that the VAR at the World Cup is a lot better. Um, and, and you would assume so. With the money that's involved in the World Cup and with the lack of funds in the Australian A-League, I can definitely see that there would be a much, much better standard upheld at the World Cup. I've um, I've got up a 
it's just a basic explanation of how the VAR process will work uh, just over at the World Cup in Russia this year. So I'll quickly read you through that and we'll round off this episode. All right, so the VAR will watch the main camera on the upper monitor and then we'll check or review incidents on the quad split monitor. Oh, very fancy. Okay, and then from there, uh, the VAR, I guess, operator is responsible for leading the VAR team and communicating with the referee on the field of play. So I'm assuming they just got a direct line or a direct, um, I guess, microphone that will go straight to the earpiece, the earpiece of the referee on the field. Then the VAR number one will concentrate on the main camera and keeps the VAR informed about live play if an incident is being checked or reviewed, then it'll move to the AVAR2, which is an assistant referee located at the offside station, and he will, in- will anticipate and check any potential offside situations to speed up the VAR check and review process. So we've actually got someone on the ground checking for offsides. And then three, the AVR, AVAR, sorry, three, will focus on the TV program feed, assist the VAR in evaluating incidents, and ensures good communication between the VAR and the AVAR2 located, located at the offside station. Uh, apologies there, so AVAR, I'm assuming, is assistant VAR. All right, so we've got just another, uh, basically, refereeing unit here. And to be honest, it sounds a bit odd to me. I'm not sure if I like the whole offside thing as well. It just feels like it's getting further and further away from the beautiful game. Um, not not the biggest fan. Uh, to be honest, I've said to be honest a bit today, haven't I? If you uh, if you listeners go out there and, and look up VAR at the 2018 FIFA World Cup, you can watch videos, you can fully understand how it's going to work. Uh, I am probably going to cut that short there just because I don't want to keep complaining about how bad it is here in Australia. And to be honest... <laughs> Sorry, I'm being very honest in this conversation. Uh, I am not particularly excited for how it goes. Hopefully it goes well, but I'm just not confident. Uh, but I guess that's the way it is. Anyways, thank you guys very much for watching today. I hope you enjoyed this new little news format. Uh, we'll get back to normal programming when there is something very specific to go through but in the lead up to the world cup it's more just dissecting the news and uh, once it starts there will be a lot more to go through uh, just from the actual happenings at the games but i thank you guys for your views i thank you again uh, for for basically pushing this into the charts yourselves and um i appreciate all the views and all the listens (laughs) thank you very much guys and i'll speak to you guys very soon (laughs) 